East Coast or West Coast? I am, I am Nashville, so Central Time. Where are you guys? I'm in New York. Yeah, we're based. We're based in New York. Oh yeah. What part? Queen. Queen. Oh guys, yeah. I just texted with my buddy from Brooklyn just a minute ago. Ah, oh, you've been he, to New York. He's in the mortgage business. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, that's pretty good. What what you know, made company up there? What made you get into real estate and finances? So I got into real estate and well, I got into lending I got into by accident. Um so I was an insurance agent. So just a little bit about me. What I do is I'm I, I do a few things, but I'm a lender. That's my primary job. Okay, so that's most of my cash flow right now. Um and but I have you know I have real estate that sort of thing but I got into lending by accident I was trying to I was tired of long hours I was an insurance agent and I was recruiting actually trying to recruit one of my best friends to come work for me uh, and just kind of in the middle of talking uh, he was just like dude you need to come do this you would love it um, you're asking people for money. We give people the money. I'll never forget he said that. And uh, within a week, I left the insurance business I'd been in for six years and took a job at a mortgage, at a local mortgage company here in a uh, suburb of Nashville called Brentwood. Got you. So, and, and I, yeah. I was just, how does one become a lender. I didn't know there's a job application or a process you got to go through to become a lender. I, th I just thought if you had the money, you just start lending money to people. Yeah, so at a really base level, like I didn't know either. So like I was a marketing major at Belmont University in Nashville and really didn't know. Uh, it was kind of by default, you know, marketing. So I figured, you know, my dad was in sales. Um, I didn't really know, you know, exactly what I wanted to do. So to be honest with you, I didn't really, the same thing you're asking about lending, I had that same question about insurance. I was like, okay, I've heard that word, but what, what does that, what does that mean? Is it car insurance or what if I was selling like life insurance and, you know, um, things like that, you know, like medical, small medical supplement policies. So lending, um, I stumbled into kind of the, you know, like I said, with, with my buddy Dave, you know, at the time you could open up a mortgage company um, with very little and like be a, you know, be a mortgage broker. And so um, then being a loan officer, you're just sort of, you know, partnering up with um, different people to, to, to send you deals um but wherever you're working that place needs to be able to close you know and fund loans and so they would have a relationship with these other you know investors you guys might remember like countrywide that was one that kind of went away the bank of america had at one time so that was like the big big you know company because they kind of had a, an a paper side and then they had what was called subprime or B pay, BC paper. And that's what kind of 
that whole market of BC kind of went away after the 08 fallout. So I don't know if you guys ever watched the big short. I've never seen it, but uh, Brad Pitt, I'm, you know, it's apparently a great movie. It explains the demise of the subprime lending market. So that was where exotic loans were um, really risky, adjustable rates. People probably shouldn't have been having loans. A lot of greed on Wall Street was, you know, was causing more and more people to prop to invest in these. And then once they started coming due, they started defaulting. Um, once they start, once the once the rate started adjusted, the people couldn't afford the payments anymore, and they just they started defaulting, and it was just a collapse because there were so many of them. But that's that's kind of. That's kind of how I started. I started in uh, 96, actually. And so, you know, that's, that's, how, I, that's how I got started. And, and then real estate, you know, I bought my first home when I was 27. Um, and then from there, I just tried to keep whatever home I bought and rent it out. You know, that's how I did that. What, what, do you, investor. what do you think has been the biggest lesson throughout all your financial endeavors that you've learned? <clears throat> I think just education being is probably, you know, is the key doing your research, you know, having someone who gives you sound advice, like a mentor, um, you know, but also I've learned to, to trust my, my, my own instincts or my own, um, my own gut, I guess, for lack of a better word, because, you know, there's going to be time, there were time, there's times where, um, you know, there's always going to be, there's risk in everything. There's risk in, in doing something. There's risk in staying put. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I think, um, you know, you have to trust what you already know, even if, um, you're getting conflicting information because ultimately you're the one that has to, to, to deal with the decision. And so, but, you know, for biggest lesson, I think you just have to, you really have to educate yourself, um, you know, and have somebody that's with you that, that, that is really uh, a sounding board or that's, that's trustworthy that can, that can, help you along the way. I mean, everybody's already done whatever it is we want to do. You know, it's just finding the, the right people around you to walk with you through whatever you're wanting to walk through, whether it's real estate or whatever, you know. Think of Kobe. You know, he, 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 he got with Michael early on, right? Mm -hmm. And just wore him out, you know, always calling him, you know, texting him, um, you know, so I don't think it would have been the same if Michael wasn't there. I mean, I think we'd see a different Kobe. I'm not saying he wouldn't still be great. I'm just saying there was a lot that he got, got out of that relationship. That's true. Uh, yeah. You had mentioned that you bought your first home at 27. You know, we're both uh, Glass and I, you know, we're, 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 we're 26 now. So 
you at that age, can you walk us through, um, you know, how that became a thing, you know, uh, like any tips for, um, you know, people our age that would like to buy a home? Uh, like what, what, what's some information that um, we could use from that? Because I know that's something that I definitely want to do in, you know, the upcoming future. So, you know, some advice would definitely be helpful. Sure. So, um, I mean, there are programs that allow people to purchase homes with, you know, little or even no money down. So the program itself um, will allow for that. So there, what you have to do is find out. Um, so if you go to this site called hud.gov backslash states, um, and then you click on learn about home ownership, it's going to show you, like in this area, we have THDA, Tennessee Housing Development, and um, that's a local zero down program. And the borrowers have to, there's an income restriction. So um, whatever, what, for each county, they're going to have, you know, and the limit that the household income can be. So if you have one person in the household, there's an income limit for that, but there's two or three people, the income limit's higher. Um, there's also the, the, that is, there's a, there's a price you pay with that because they're sort of in the boat with you and they want their, that what they do is they grant you the down payment. Um, and you can look this up in, in, in your own state. Um, and I can get you connected, um, you know, with, with my buddy that I told you about who owns uh, a mortgage company up there, but that's probably the best way is to get in in other ways you know fha is three and a half percent down but if you have good credit scores three conventional three percent down is really the best bang for your dollar um so conventional loans like that means like it's Fannie Mae, freddie mac you're you're going to have some advantages there because they can do like three percent down um, they reward you for having better scores. Um, and then there's this thing called like private mortgage insurance, which is basically foreclosure protection for the lender. Um, but it's cheaper with, with conventional. Now, once you get into lower scores, like anything 680 down to 580, conventional, or conventional becomes more expensive and FHA becomes better. Any of those, I mean, back to the, the zero down programs that are like regional for your region, those grant type programs, usually you got to have a 640 score for those. So the other way you can do it is partner up with someone. Um, so I see a parent or brother or uncle, you know, help out with either co-signing or with the down payment and you guys you know and then they'll work out something on their own of how they're work you know what kind of deal they're doing you know together so for example somebody buys a house um so prince you buy one you have a relative or something that co-signs with you and um they don't necessarily live there but they could help propel you to get you into the house now they have to have good credit too, or and also like margin in order to give you. And I'm just saying margin as a word is just a general. They they need enough 
purchasing power to be mm. able to share some with you. They can't be maxed out. And then they won't have anything. If their boat's full, they can't take on any more. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a few ways to do it. But, like, here's what's cool about today <clears throat> is, yes, buying your first home is, 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 uh, is great and it's important. I definitely believe that. What I'm just seeing now is there's definitely people out there that just are so young that they're not even buying their first home yet before they purchase a rental property. So they're getting into wholesaling or investing or flipping or something to where, you know, they're using other people's money, like hard lender money, which means, you know, that it's basically like a 90 day note. It's, you know, hard lenders will just lend. um, They don't really do credit checks and all this stuff. You know, they're just, they're concerned about, yeah, but it'd be like a 12% rate, but for three months and then you're kind of in and out of it. And so what the idea would be is that the, the person who buys it either flips it, sells it again, like after they've done some work to it or they refinance it. So it, I just think it's cool that, that there are people out there <clears throat> that are purchasing homes that are young people uh, and getting into investing. And sometimes they don't even own, you know, that, I mean, they're buying, they're, they're, they're working the real estate market, but they don't even own their own home yet. And, you know, it's, I think it's good, but sometimes it's best to rent. I mean, especially if you're not sure where you're going to land, mm-hmm. you know, um, but owning property in general um, is, is almost always going to work out. Uh, if, if you've done your homework, um, it doesn't mean property values don't go down. I've definitely experienced that. Um, they will go down at some point, but I mean, right now what's going on is just, it's a different thing than 08. And a lot of people think it's the same, um, but there's just, there's just no inventory right now. So we have 400,000 homes, you know, on MLS right now, and there were millions on MLS back in 08. So there's true demand and that's what's the competition. Plus it's cheaper to live here than it is in Queens or it's cheaper to live here than it is in, in, in California. Right. And so people, um, if you look at my story yet from yesterday, I, I did this graph where it showed basically a picture of the U S and it was all these arrows going down to the Southeast. And that's where everybody was sort of hemorrhaging people and it was going down to the southeast and that's where every other region was losing people in the southeast from texas all the way over to um the east coast you know maybe roping in kentucky as far north as that maybe at the most and so the all of the all of those states people are, are i mean it's it's even more competitive how would you suggest someone get into real estate with absolutely horrible credit? So with horrible credit, obviously you can work on the credit. It's all you always it's always going to pay dividends long term to walk work on that, and um, that is a very competitive market to where this, there's a lot of credit repair people out there, and some are good and some are not. Meaning, um, 
some of them some of them get the results, some of them don't. But you know, we do a lot of credit advice here. I mean, we don't charge for that. It's more of just like a value add that we and if it's really really the credit you know needs a lot of work, it's going to take a few months. Then we would we would refer them to someone that we trust that will. You know, and they, they charge a fee to the person to enroll in their program, and they try to get deletions off of their credit. Like one of the biggest things that people just don't know, for example, is they um, say they have medical collections uh, or student loan stuff or whatever. I mean, some people think that just paying the medical collection, or let's say it was a uh, they the last place they lived, they you know, they didn't pay the electric or water or phone or whatever. And so now it's turned over to, to a collector or a credit card turned over to a collector. So when that happens, um, you, what you, a lot of people think just paying it is the right thing to do, but it's, it's really not. If you pay it, it actually makes it worse at first. It's kind of like, this is what I always, I don't know, I've gotten lots of speeding tickets. I probably got my first one when I was 16, not lots, I'm not like a speed demon, but everybody's got a speed ticket, right? We all know to not just pay it because if you just pay it, it now it's on your record and you, you really can't get it off. That's kind of what a collection, if you just pay it, what you really want to do is you want to ask them for a deletion in exchange for whatever deal that you're, whatever you're going to pay them to get it off. So, and you want to do that in writing. So the deletion means that they remove it. So kind of like using the ticket, uh, speeding ticket, you know, the judge says, you know, well, if you go to the class, right, that they'll just, they'll expunge it from your record. They'll take it off. And so it was never there. So, I mean, it technically was, it happened, but it's not there, you know. So that's that's a big thing. Now, if you really just can't fix it and you want to get in it sooner, that's where you really can't have a cosigner. So I'll tell you what you can't do. So you can't. If, if one person's credit is below the qualification minimum, it doesn't matter if you have like a, you know, a rich uncle or whatever that would say, hey, I'll co-sign with you because that person with the lower credit can't go on the loan. So that's where you get into probably, you know, trying to like get a, um, do something on like the wholesale side or investor side where, where you know you're flipping properties, things like that, because there's really no credit required for those type things typically. So you're gonna, you know, you're not really closing on it. You're turning around and flipping it sometimes, or turning around if you got an investor, you know, to help you. So you have to figure that out. You just have to figure out a way to, to not get the loan. You're just not gonna be able to get a loan until your credit's right. But there's other ways to get involved, um, you know. And one of them would be, you know, wholesaling. Mm. Got you. Or investors like using other people's money. So, um, you know, but someone usually, when you use other people's money, a lot of times you're raising the down payment and then you get the loan, but some, you would have to figure out a way just to get the loan if you're not going to qualify. Gotcha. So, if you have bad credit, um, it's one of the things you want to look at is trying to fix that for the long term, but doing it the right way. Some people just get kind of in the mode of 
I'm ready to fix this. It's kind of, you know, been swept under the rug for so long and now I'm going to try to fix it. And so they, they think they're doing the right thing by paying the, paying the, the collection off, but um, you don't want to do that without negotiating a deletion. So yeah. there's little things like that, but. So would they be negotiating with the credit bureau? You don't negotiate, you negotiate with the creditor. So in this case, it would be the collector. So if the collector is, uh, you know, that's where you, it's, it's going to be on the credit report. So let's say it was a credit card with uh, Capital One and it just didn't get paid. And so then it finally went to collection. Then now uh, XYZ attorneys or XYZ collection company is now involved. And so then they put an entry on your credit report. And so and then now they say they're wanting, you know, the however much they that you owe. So then their that their phone they'll start sending letters and the, their phone number and everything will be on the credit report. And that's who you would start dealing with at that point. Capital One is saying, hey, we've written it off or we've turned it to collection. So I with this whole deletion thing, I never even knew that was a thing. I think a lot of uh, Middle America is not. I, are not like financially financially literate, and why do you think that is? Because this is not something that's really taught in the schools. You know, like you said, um, it's best to do your research, do your homework. I think it's like information that you got to go out and seek. But I think if a lot of this was taught in education, like a lot of uh, middle America. Uh, would be better off that way in regards to that or taxes. Um, I think a lot of us are just not as financially literate. I feel you. I mean, I was the same way. Uh, you know, when I bought my first home, um, you know, I didn't, it was all new. It was very, very, very new and raw and real to me. And so um, it can be scary because you kind of don't want to make a bad decision, you know. Um, but really, if you have a two-year history of either school and work, um, so you don't have to have a two years on the same job. It could be different jobs as long as, you know, you have a history kind of of work the last two years. Um, and then a decent credit score, you now you, that's the, you can still get into a house. Now, the thing is, is that it's going to be, it's harder to find one uh, closer to town. The first, you have to go further out to get the lower prices a lot of times, unless you just find something that's just, you know, really like a HUD foreclosure. Like a HUD foreclosure is like where FH, it was an FHA loan that someone defaulted on. And so HUD actually does these uh, $100 $100 down programs. It's just hard to find, you know, people snatch them up, investors try to snatch them up, but I wouldn't let any of that get you down. I mean, I think having someone like uh, a mentor that's in real estate is, 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 is key. I think is just having someone that you, that you gel with, but you know, has a good reputation in the industry and knowledgeable, and that will take the time, you know, but to, to talk to you. You know, sometimes you have to kind of just 
bring value to them, you know, figure out, yeah. you know, what you can do to, to, to bring value to them so that they, you know, will, will share, share with you. I mean, sometimes you work for free, do things for them, you know, to learn the big picture, you know what I'm saying? To learn for the long term. What do you, yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. What, what do you think should be the number one investment uh, moving forward? Like if you were to suggest some, something to someone. I definitely think it's real estate, um, residential real estate and or commercial real estate. Um, stocks are, are great as well. Um, I think the worst one is just a bank account. And so we've just been so conditioned to think that, you know, the bank uh, is where the safe place to put your money and low risk. But the, but the risk, the bigger risk is what you're leaving on the table because they're, they're taking the money that depositors put in and they're, they're loaning that out mm-hmm. multiple times. And so um, they're making huge returns because they lend it out multiple times where, you know, in, in real estate, you, you park your money into a property and you le- you use leverage. So in other words, $30,000 in, uh, or say $8,000, you put $8,000 into the market uh, in terms of like a stock or something, you've got to come up with 8,000 and then say you get a 10% return, that's $800. But say you use that $8,000 for you know um, a down payment on something, say the eight thousand divided by three percent is about two sixty six. So say you you bought a house three percent down of like two sixty, it'd be eight thousand dollars. Now you've got an asset that's two sixty. Now if that does a ten percent rate of return, you've got a twenty six thousand dollar return. Yes, you have the payment. Um, but you're building equity. So part of your payment is going towards the principal pay down and you get to deduct the interest. It's one of the biggest. So, so real estate has advantages over stocks, in my opinion, that just far outweigh. So it's the leverage that you get, meaning I can take a little money to leverage to buy a big, bigger asset, right? Does that make sense? Versus, versus uh, you know, I buy, I've got $8,000, buying $8,000 worth of anything is really just getting you $8,000. But mm-hmm. you leverage it by borrowing, right? So I leverage it into the property. Now I've got a property and I get the returns on the property. And so real estate provides tax advantages as well. You get to deduct the interest typically, you know, so the government's good about allowing that, you know, you check with your CPA and that they'll show you, you take your your uh, your final interest statement of the year to your CPA and then you get to deduct the interest. Whereas like rent, you don't get to deduct any of that. So rent, we always say rent has 100% um, interest rate. You know, the rate, rental, the rate on rent is 100%, so. What do you think is uh the biggest mistake that people normally make in real estate? Um, before they buy a house or after? I'd say before. Well, I think for younger 
for for younger folks, it, the biggest issue, the biggest mistake is I think is is not um, not being educated about um, what how things were, how credit works, what you needed, you know, not taking their credit seriously, because you know once once it gets messed up, then it's then it's re, it's, it takes time to recover. So um, I just think. And the other thing is waiting. I mean, just waiting because they're afraid. You know, I would figure out what can I afford that doesn't stretch me. Um, I think you know it's it's hard to it's hard to get ahead when you don't own property. I mean, it's one of the fastest ways. And so I think waiting, you know, to find the right perfect property because it's not going to be. Let's say everything's they do have a good credit, right? Let's say they got good credit, they got a job, but now they're kind of ready, but now the fear that's holding them back is finding the right ones. And which, and it's something about when you buy a house, it's, you know, it's a big investment, you know, it's the biggest investment you've made at this point of your life. And, and so you, sometimes there's this mentality of like, it needs to be the perfect place. And you quickly realize that, there's no perfect place because the perfect place is some place in your mind that you would build and there this doesn't exist. So there's always going to be something that you would change or whatever about the property. And I think that sometimes people get hung up there. And the better thing to do is to realize that this is not my forever home. You know, the average is going to be five to seven years. I'm going to stay there. So mm -hmm. the, the idea is to get into the game, you know, first, now, at some point, I think people are concerned about, you know, because prices have gone up so much, they're con and then they, they know something about 08 or have heard about it, and so they're concerned about a market crash, and so am I going to buy a home that's gone down in value? So historic, that's where you have to start doing the research, you know, just Googling, like, is real estate going to crash? And you're going to see it's a different story today than it was um, than it was 10 years ago or 13 years ago. Does that make sense? Yes. Because, yeah, 15, I guess it is now. Is that what it is? 12, 14 years ago. So, yeah, because it's just different circumstances. Now we have a shortage of property. So until that levels up, um, we're, you know, property values are projected to continue to rise. Now, probably not at the, the same pace, but, you know, when, like I just did a video, what you can get in, in Tennessee for 400,000, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah, and so a lot of people, because when I, sometimes we'll do a video, they'll say, gosh, where can you get something for 400,000 anymore? Because that's where they're from. So like, if you're not looking outside of, their immediate area, you know, like if you only look in Queens, you're going to see it's going to be, you're going to be used to seeing these price points that are just in Queens. But if you look further out, you're going to see that prices go down. There are, there are places. So I don't know New York state that well, I'm not licensed there. However, there are places to, to get homes that are still affordable and still Use, I mean, it's just further out. But I do think it's a dilemma, you know, because um, 
people growing up in an area that's this high price and then they're ready to buy and they can't afford because they're sort of priced out of the market. So then it's time to start looking outside. The other good thing to do, and I'll throw this back out, is another great strategy is buying in like a two unit or three unit property and then, or buying your property, but you still got, if you have roommates, you can't use the roommate's income projected rental income for qualifying, but you can use it to help pay the mortgage for just your own benefits. Um, so what I mean by that, let's say you find a two or three unit property and you can afford it uh, just barely, like you barely qualify. And so like if it were, didn't have those other units or didn't have the other bedrooms, or if you, you know, if it was just going to be you, you probably wouldn't do it because it's just too much of a stretch because you're just thinking, all right, I qualify for this, but qualifying and really being able to do this are two different things. So just because the lender says, because the lender gives a max um, that they're going to lend you. And a lot of times it's more aggressive than what you would even do. So you want to make sure that you're thinking through that to make sure that you know that you can afford this. But like when you're we're dealing with, you know, buying a home and, and then you've got somebody else that's going to rent out the other rooms, they can pay the note for you. And that's a that's a that's a fast track to get ahead. But you've got to be able to afford. So it's just you that's going to qualify. Right. You've got to be able to qualify for the house itself because your buddy's income or the rent doesn't count in the qualifying purposes. But that's a great way. That's probably the one of the fastest now multi-unit homes are maybe a little harder to find but there's just i mean think about it like you you buy a place the payment on it's it's a duplex and your payment's fifteen hundred dollars and you rent out the other side for for fifteen hundred you know mm -hmm. or you rent out a bedroom you buy a house a single family it's got three bedrooms you qualify for it on your own um and then you rent out two rooms to buddies and they help pay the payment they have no ownership in it anything it's just you know that's a great way that's what a lot of people um do to get ahead faster is the fast track what so what about property management when it comes to uh those properties so when you if you do have tenants um rather than communicating with you they can communicate through a property manager because there'll be less work on you but I know there's a fee and a cut that, you know, they would get. Yeah, so property management. Um, so like if you buy uh, an investment property, you can manage yourself or you can have a property manager. But if you're having, um, you could, if, if the property is attached to, to your residence, you know, that's up to you whether you want to um, manage it or not. Or have a property manager, but usually property managers come into play when you have um, rental properties that are just on on your that are that are in your uh, portfolio that you just that you don't really go into, you don't see them, whatever. They just take care of all of it. But then yes, there's a fee. But when they move out, you know, um, you know that they they check make sure the deposit you know the deposit is ready to return or whatever. So I have 
property that we manage ourselves and I have property that is managed by property managers. Mm. The property around here, we manage, but um, like out of state, have a property manager. So what, what advice would you give for military veterans like myself? And also I have a lot of friends that are, are in the military or, or veterans that when it comes to uh, getting a home, we don't have to put anything down. And uh, the APR for us is typically low because there's, you know, being a veteran, there's benefits to buying a home, a lot of benefits. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up, Prince. Um, for I didn't realize that. That are you also, Glass? Uh, are you uh, no. that as well? So for veterans, that is probably you guys have probably the biggest advantage because, like you said, it's zero down, um, and then they don't charge that monthly mortgage insurance, that foreclosure protection. Now they do charge what's called a funding fee. Yeah. But they they allow you to finance that on top of your loan yeah. if you are disabled. They that's waived. So you just yep. have to check your certificate of eligibility to see if if uh, if you have that fee or not. But the, the point of it is, is they can still protect themselves in, for against default if they have to take the property back with that fee. But it's not having to come out of your pocket. You get to finance it into the loan, which may only make your payment a couple bucks more or whatever, right? Yes. But you're not having to come out of pocket this big chunk, like a few thousand dollars. So veterans, um, the, the other good thing is you've got, uh, you know, the debt to income ratio can be higher so that they're more lenient uh, and credit scores can, can be lower. So you can, I've seen credit scores in the 500s. For, now, what they're going to look at is your last 12 months. So, you know, 12 months with no 30 day late. Um, so late payments, really anything 30 days or later. So if you got a credit card and it's due on the second or the fifth and you don't pay it till the 25th, so maybe you got to pay the 15 day late fee, but you, you it's not going to report late until it's on the credit bureau. So it's 30 days late. So you just want to make sure VA that you've got a clean 12 months history. Um, and, you know, that you've got good, good uh, job history and you don't have to, like I said, it doesn't have to be the same job. It just needs to be no, no giant gaps. Like I worked here for six months. I was off for three or four months. Now I've been back here for two months. That can be, uh, you know, problematic sometimes. For someone who wants to be retired by 40, what are some of the, what are some of the best things that they can do to ensure that? Well, I think, um, here's the, so it's setting up yourself for, for cash flow. So I think the, the thing that a lot of us bought into, including myself, was that, you know, you work, um, save, you, you, you put money into your company retirement plan, whatever that is, um, and that will, you know, and then you'll save enough and then you'll draw off of that someday. Problem with that, very difficult 
to save enough money to just be able to draw off of that in order to survive. What you need to be able to do is purchase cash-producing uh, assets, so income-producing assets, which would be real estate. So yeah. there's certain types of debt that are good, and um, in that I would say that's real estate debt. So I think sometimes people get caught up in listen to talk show hosts. You know, I think um, you know Dave Ramsey. He's local here, and he's um, he does a lot of good um, with budgeting things like that. But one of the things that he talks about is you know saving 20% down and doing a 15-year note. And that advice has kept many many homeowners, many people that are deserving to be homeowners, from becoming a homeowner. Because it takes too long to save 20% down. It takes a long time, and it would be better to get into the market um, sooner. And then the 15-year note is going to be a much higher payment. So there's an example of, like, you know, a financial guru that I think has, you know, given advice that, that I don't think works very well. I don't think it's – I mean – People can do that, but let's say you, I mean, if you bought, you've got a property that's worth, you know, 400, 300,000, let's just say 300,000, and you decide you're going to, you know, you can buy it now with the money you have, you have enough to put 3% down, or, you know, you, you wait three years, but what the property is, is $60,000 more, you know, you're, you just lost all of that. You know, it's better to get on the train when you can. Right. Yeah. So instead of waiting till you save enough for a bigger down, because remember this, for every $10,000 you put down on average, it reduces the payment about $50 a month. Wow. Yeah. 20,000, about a hundred bucks a month. So once you get to whatever the minimum down payment is, my strong advice would be that's when you get into the house. You can afford it. You never want to stretch yourself where, like, this is stretching me. I can't do this. No, not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, you know, if you can do it, you know, and then you – so a lot of times people have a side hustle, right? And so they can – they have other income. They just couldn't maybe count it. Uh, the underwriter wouldn't count it because you didn't have a two-year history of the side hustle. But your main job qualifies you just barely. You know, but in reality, you've got this other side hustle that's bringing in income. So you feel you're not sleep, – you're sleeping fine right? You're not losing sleep because of that. So, but you getting into the game, now you've got the house. And one of the easiest things to do is, you know, buy a house 3% down, stay in it a year because you're required to stay in it a year, convert that to a rental, and then buy the next house with, now for you, Prince, buy the first one VA, zero mm -hmm. down, mm -hmm. stay in it a year. If you want to convert that to a rental, you may have to do conventional the next time. Um, you can have two VA loans, but there's only certain circumstances and you know, that sort of thing. So what you'd want to do is, you know, get your funds together and save during that time and then change that and convert your first primary to a rental now and then have renters in there that pays the note for you, cash flow it, right? Even if it's only cash flowing a little bit, 100 to $200, you know, you're getting more benefit than just the 100 to $200. You're getting a huge tax benefit. Plus, 
historically, real estate has risen over time. Doesn't mean it's not going to go down at some point, but long term, just like the stock market, real estate has been a good investment long term. So then you could buy that second property. Now you own two properties. Mm-hmm. You buy the second property with a small down payment. So you could do, now you'd have to do 5% down because you'd already bought a home. So if you've already bought a home, you can't do 3% down conventional anymore. You'd have to do 5% down conventional, or you could do an FHA loan, which is 3.5%. But you always want to do conventional over FHA if you can. Conventional is better because it has, they reward you for the lower, for higher credit scores and that PMI, private mortgage insurance, you can drop it at some point. FHA, it's permanent. Can't ever drop it without refinancing. If if you could give one piece of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would it be? Hmm. That's a good one. For sure, getting a mentor. Mm, um, I hear that a lot. Yeah, it's it's game changer. So there's so much human nature. I mean, that uh, that that works against us. And and what having a mentor does, it provides that knowledge. Um, but it's also accountability. And so accountability is is huge, right? Because you you get more done. I mean, you're required to report to someone. You're required to turn in something. You're required to uh, do do assignments. And so that accountability keeps you going. Like having a workout partner, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like if you work out on your own. All of us got that friend that that um, you know self-motivated kind of thing they you know they just run and work out on their own but if you've got a partner it sure makes it easier because they're kind of dependent on you You know they're going to be there even when you don't feel like going you go so mentorship is kind of similar i mean you get so much out of the accountability part but then just having someone that can guide you along the way and i think just asking questions not being afraid And, and the other big thing is besides that is I would tell my 20 year old self is um, don't worry about what other people think. Mm. You know, I think sometimes we just, we get stuck with that and we worry about, especially now in this day and age of uh, social media, um, you know, they, they don't want to go on camera. You know, do I look fat? Do I look this? Do I look that? You know, all of these things, you know, I don't look good. You know, at the end of the day, it's who we, you know, we're just who we are. You, everybody's got something to give, in my, is how I believe. I mean, I think everyone has value. Um, we just have to find out how that is and don't, and don't, it's, but if we're good at something, you should, you should tell the world, you know, you I, owe it to them. I agree, for sure. What, what do you think are some of the best loans to take out? Well, just going back to, you know, I think the um, conventional um, first-time buyer loan is good. They have um, they have another one that that inside with inside the conventional three percent down. They also have a version that uh, is income restrictive that rewards you um, with lower mortgage insurance, lower PMI, and a little bit better rate. 
and you just have to be below the income limit for that area, the area median income. You have to be at 80%. So there's ways to look that up, you know, the area median income for the area, it's called the AMI, and you have to be at 80% of that. So it'll tell you right there on the, so there's, there's a couple of programs um, like Home Possible and Home Ready. Those are just Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's different versions of kind of the same product, 3% down. Um, those are the best, but like for, for Prince, VA, if you're a veteran, definitely first home, that's, that's a no-brainer. That's, that's a great program, um, not going to beat that. And then, like I said, that some of those first-time buyer programs that if you're just not able to, to get the down payment together, um, you can, you know, you can go to that hud.gov backslash forward slash states um, and then just click on learn about home ownership, the tab learn about home ownership, and then that, that will show you what programs are available in your particular area for grants. So where the, you could have zero down, so they would grant you the, the down payment. Those so are good ones. There, there's a 25-year-old out there that has no sense of direction, but all he knows is that he wants to be rich. What do you think is the first step that he should take? Well, um, I mean, I would say, I mean, he needs to <clears throat> buy real estate. I mean, he needs to but he needs to educate himself. Um, and I'm not saying necessarily um, college or or whatever, but some sort of way he needs to figure out um, what it is he likes to do. Um, if he's wanting to be wealthy, I just think that's the quickest path uh, and the least risky path with the biggest payoffs is real estate. So there's definitely other ways that people make money, right? I mean, they open up a business. Um, you know, nowadays, everyone, you know, is is crypto everywhere you see, it's NFTs everywhere you see. There's 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 high risk with those. So um, you can invest some money there, but you know, it has to be money that you would be willing to lose. Whereas real estate, I think. You know, if you can start building a portfolio of homes, it's not as hard as you think. You know, I think the unknown that holds people back sometimes. And that's where I think the mentor comes in, or coach, you know, having someone, you know, a real estate agent that's someone that's just further down the tracks than you are. Got you. Well, that's all the questions I have for you. Thank you so much, Mr. Neely. This has been very Yeah. I definitely Call me Mark. Mark. Oh, okay, sorry. Mark, this <laughs> has been very informative. I thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Let me know when it's ready and um I'll I'll promote it out as well. I'll send it out. Just give me the link and we'll uh get some listeners going, okay? Thank mm -hmm. you.